What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for wrapping up your week with us. This is your Friday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. My name is Joe Rico, and I am your host. And we don't usually waste much time when we got a guest on, especially not one that I like so much. So we're going to just bring him on right off the top. You know him as one half of Leading Off on Fantasy Pros. He's one half of the In This League podcast network, and he also hosts the Fantasy or the Prospect One podcast. I believe I got them all correct there. There's so much stuff. I'm probably missing a bunch of stuff because he is on just so much stuff. But ladies and gentlemen, we have the Welsh with us. Thank you so much for being here with us, Chris. Uh, Joe, I'm very glad to be here. And uh, I am always like baffled and sometimes like I need to rethink things when I hear anybody say all the stuff I do. I do do a lot. I just at the end of the day hope it is not too much, and I have not oversaturated my brand or any of it, but uh, I enjoy fantasy sports. I enjoy baseball. I enjoy all of the sports, really. I do football as well. Uh, I Our background of our connection is through uh, Dan and uh, you know love basketball and all the sports. I'm just a junkie. I'm a junkie to all of it, and I like to talk, and I like to be out there, but I do do a lot of stuff leading off in this league. And, and uh, Prospect One, those are the big things people should be on the lookout for me. Yeah, shout out to Dan Baspris for getting us in touch here. I love Dan. I know you've known Dan, what's, was it seven years or something like that? Oh, a long time. Yeah, I mean, I knew Dan before. I mean, I remember when Dan was like hired over at uh, <laughs> at Hoopball because we were doing stuff in this league. Um, you know, we were kind of in the, we started with basketball, actually. In this league started with basketball. It was the sole thing that we did. And you know, that was, it was a whole different world of what podcasts were out there. And that was before Hootball was even created. You know, I mean, yeah. uh, NBC was still had, uh, you know, had half the crew here and Dan wasn't even in it. But yeah, I, uh, I love Dan. I miss talking with Dan. Makes me want to do basketball again. Uh, so you guys are all in, in good hands and good company. Do you think you'll, you guys love her venture back into basketball? Yeah, it's definitely a possibility. But we talked about it. I mean, we, you know, we had to taper back pretty much right around like COVID. Uh, I mean, to be frank, I had, I think it was 2019. I spent a couple months hosting the fantasy baseball podcast on CBS. You know, it's a, it's a nice, good, big deal, mm -hmm. but I couldn't do, I was already at my tip because the pro, my prospect show really kind of took off and it was, it's very prominent in, in this league as far as like what gets downloads and stuff. So I had to put my attention in that. And I just wasn't giving the attention to basketball. So I had to taper back. Then the CBS thing made it permanent. Bogman did it for like a year. Uh, Dan would come on and uh, Jonas Nader from uh, NBC. And we did that for a bit, but then Bogman couldn't do it anymore. Things have changed in my life. Things have changed in his life. There's definitely a possibility that, uh, Either the in, in this league fantasy basketball podcast could come back, or even Bogman and I do some realm of basketball. But but, but we're not here to talk about that. They want they want baseball talk. But yeah, it's always a possibility. They're here for the baseball. Just curious, do you still play fantasy basketball? You still yeah. have a couple leagues going? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I got a couple leagues that I do. I actually do a really interesting league. Uh, it's called we call it the three sport league, where it's basketball, football, and baseball. It's a sixteen team league, and it you can do intersport trading. And the best part about it was when we started the draft, we started it because all three player pools were open. So I could take, 
I think my first round pick, I took Steph Curry, if I remember correctly. So I took a basketball player, you know, someone, I, I think maybe Mike Trout was the very first overall pick and that, you know, it would go like that. And that's how you intertwined it. And then we did a prospect version of that as well. And having this inner drafting made the strategy crazy. And I can go and trade baseball pieces for basketball pieces now. So I've got that. And then I've got one or two other just solo leagues as well. That's really cool. Basketball. I've heard, I know this, uh, are you in like the one with the sports ethos people with the hoop ball people? Cause I know uh-uh. this, oh, is I that know the 30 team one? There's one There's. uh, I'm not in it. There's, there's a football, basketball, baseball, like three-way league. I know that there's some hoop ball slash sports ethos people involved in, uh, I think I'm not sure how many teams in it. I don't know if it's 30, but no, there, might I don't... Multi- there might be multiple. I'm not really sure. No, I didn't. I didn't know they uh, they did that. I do remember there was like the, the, I'd say infamous in the best way. There was like the big 30 team basketball league that like intertwined all of the, uh, it's a one hard thing to do is to get like everybody on board with stuff. You have like sites that not intertwine, but I know Brewski because you know, it all started with uh, actually it's a funny story. Not that anybody cares here, but the reason we met everybody over on your guys' side, which is now like the sports ethos guys is because we tried to get Aaron Bruski on when he was over at Roto World at the time. And Bruski had invitations from a couple people. He, we emailed him and he, what was it? He thought we were Razball and someone at Razball stood him up and he showed up to ours thinking we were Razball. And he's like, oh no, you know what? They just stood me up. I'll just do your guys' podcast. And then we became great friends. Aaron, you know, would drop stuff on a dime to do stuff. But I I was saying all that because I remember Aaron was like one of the pillars of this big 30 team basketball league that they would do. And it would add all the different guys in the industry. I never jumped into that, but that's cool if they're doing a three sport one. It's very fun. Yeah, I definitely need to get into some of that. We are here to talk about fantasy baseball, though. I'm sorry for all of you who are just here for the the strictly business. Uh, Nothing personal here, but we are, uh, of course, going to get to the baseball stuff. I was thinking... We'd go a little bit a different route than I've gone on the show before. We're going to maybe look at some guys who have overperformed this season and try and project their ADP for next year. Some guys Ooh. who, some guys who you might expect to have risen and then some guys who, well, all of them really you'd expect to have risen some more than others. Let's start with a couple of rookies. Uh, Julio in, if you're looking at all NFBC leagues for this past season, he was, his ADP was 232. Now, I'm guessing he'll go a little bit higher than that this coming season. Where do you think exactly we'll see him fall? I'm thinking probably late first, early second round, but I'm guess I'm wondering what you have to say here. <laughs> Just a little, I'll go a little bit higher than where he did. There is legit talk of Julio as one one in a lot of circles right now that he would go one one in redraft, which I think it's a little bit dramatic. But if you pull off a thirty thirty season where's the argument? Like how much can we argue Ronald Acuna when it's all said and done is probably going to pull off a 2035 type of season with missed games. I think you're going to have Turner in an easy 2030 scenario. There's not going to be a whole lot of other guys that are going to be in there. So for that argument, because we also lost a lot, we haven't got Tatis jr. In, and obviously we've had some other injuries. I think Based on trends that I've seen, Julio is almost certain to be a top five pick next year. It's all, it's almost a certainty in redraft based on the stolen bases, based on the lockdown homers. 
people were taking Juan So. I mean, you know, Juan Soto is an incredible bat, but Juan Soto was pushing that top five just at the thought of him stealing more bases. It was like, hey, listen, if I can get 100, 100, 35 homers with a 300 ish average, and I'm going to get 15 stolen bases, Soto could be the number one guy. You know, because there can be some, there's some batting average issues in the past, uh, or you could argue there's batting average issues with guys like uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. or Ronald Acuna. I wouldn't go too crazy into it, but you can make some of those arguments of like 283 with a with Acuna. But if you take and you believe the 33rd season locks in as a 21 year old, people are only going to build progression. And like Cedric Mullins was a regression candidate because he had never done this before. Long track record, power didn't seem uh, sustainable. But now you're going to look at a situation with a guy that is 21 with all the future ahead. And if he hits around 300, it will only be progression, which is the same stuff that was built into like Tatis and Acuna. And I think people will go, well, you know, listen, Tatis, his shoulders hurt a bunch. Yes, he had a 40-25 season with, uh, with a 282 batting average, but the floor is there and he's only going to progress that. I think it's like lockdown top five. I think it'll be Tatis, Acuna. I think Jose Ramirez is probably going to be in that discussion. Otani should always be in that discussion. Turner might fall right outside of it, but you've lost a couple of the other big names. You know, I think Bo Bichette is firmly out of that. And I think Soto's going to be out of that unless he has a monstrous second half. So long, long answer, Joe. I say top five. I would I would tend to agree. I think you have, when you're doing any kind of exercise like this, you gotta do what you did and see who he's gonna jump over. If you're looking at first round uh main event ADPs. He's going ahead of Walker Bueller next year. I think he's going to go ahead of Luis Robert, most likely. Yep. Kyle, Kyle Tucker, yes. Easy, um, yep. Shohei, maybe. Eh. maybe. And, and, and Shohei's so tough because it's like if you can only, if it's a weekly, if you're looking at NFBC stuff, like you can't use him across both platforms. He's one of those weird dudes where it's like if it's a, you know, a, a head to head daily type of thing and you can swip swap him, he should be the number one player in fantasy. If you yeah. can swip swap him on a daily basis, if it's a weekly basis, like I play in a 24 team with Scott White points league and I have Otani and I don't think I've put him as a pitcher once and I probably should, but he's such a great util and the home run totals. I really should right now, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, stupidly me with his streak that's going on with all the strikeouts, he'd be way better in points. But that makes his value like exponentially worse. So he's a tough one. But to your point, like probably not in that area if he's only one player for a certain amount of time. Yeah, if you're talking about like an ESPN daily changes league where he's both players, there's there's no one else you can even no, really consider easy. taking him ahead of. But I think he'll go ahead of Harper. He'll go ahead of Guerrero. He'll go ahead of Bichette. He'll go ahead of Corbin Burns. Most oh, well, maybe that one's a bit of a toss up. But yeah, like you said, he'll be somewhere in that top five. I. Probably the first outfielder taken. Maybe, maybe it'll be Soto. Maybe it all like uh, there's still so much left to go this season. If he does have like a 35 35 season, like you said, he could just be the the 1.01. Dude, it is so tough. And this is the thing that we all forget. There is so much season. There is an entire second half to play. And don't for a minute think if Tatis comes back, let's just say Tatis comes back you know, a little bit after the all-star break, let's be optimistic. And Tatis drops two months of what we know from Tatis. And he pulls out, and we saw Mookie hit like 14 homers in a month. Let's say he drops like a 12 and then another 10 and he steals close. If he goes 2020 in two months, which is absolutely possible. You think anyone's going to be able to talk themselves off at Tatis being number one overall. Also Acuna. Acuna could have a big hot power. He just hasn't had the big power yet. He has a big power month. 
and he gets up to 20, 25 homers, the guy could steal 40. He could have a 2040 season. There's so much season to be played. It's impossible to say. And, you know, Julio could get a bad rub for a bit and he could come back down at this moment, though, relatively firmly lock, I think, top five right now. Okay, that's that's cool. Well, let's move on from Julio a little bit. We'll talk about another rookie who I think is almost nearly as good as him. He just doesn't get the same press. Uh, Bobby Witt Jr. Maybe not quite as good, but his skill set is a five category type for fantasy. Uh, last year, he was the 82nd pick on average in NFBC leagues. This is across all NFBC leagues, 82nd overall pick. Where do you think that he will fall next season? Ooh, that's a good one. I love Mason Bobby. Well, you can see my camera. You can see right above me here. I got this blue bat. That's a Bobby Witt bat up there. I love Mason Bobby Witt. And the the batting average has really suffered, which I, I hate to see. The positive, though, is he's striking out less than Julio Rodriguez. He's not walking to the clip that I want, but he's got a 12-12 on the year. So if you were to follow just basic projections, He's going to be close to a 25-25 season as a rookie. And that's not that's not building in a ton better of a second half. Uh, Bat X, which is Derek Cardi's uh, projection system, has him at a 257, which is about 20 points higher than he's batting currently, which would end it, which would end his season probably around like a 240-245. So he'd be a 245-25-25-85-85 guy. That's an incredibly great season. And I think it would probably be around the trajectory of what Cedric Mullins did last year. So, but him being a rookie and again, guys like Julio, Cedric Mullins gets regression. Guys like Julio and Witt will get progression because of their age, because of the dominance at this level in the leagues adjusting. I want to say, I'll just safely say uh, top 24, 12 He's a second round pick in a, in a 12 man league. I think that's probably around the same spot. Mullins was like between, 25 and 35 probably somewhere there in most drafts that i saw i think he goes a tad bit higher especially when people just start going with drafts they're just going to forget any of the like little intricacies of the season they're going to look at a super young you know rookie of the year type candidate having a 25 25 season and just build off of what could be probably similar to like kyle tucker i think uh, that's probably a really fair production comp so i'll say top 25 yeah, I, when I wrote this down before we started, I said 25 to 30. I think he'll be definitely somewhere in that range. The mix of the the power and the speed, especially for fantasy, I think you and Joey P mentioned it. I don't know if it was yesterday or maybe it was today, that that 30-30, the true like 30-30 players, they don't really come around that often. And he definitely has that potential doing this already in, in year one. Yeah, the, the problem is that you think about as in recent history is, and this will be something actually now that I'm th- like saying it out loud, I'd love to check out. How many of these 30-30 guys repeat their 30-30? Because I think of Robert not repeating. I think of um, Cedric Mullins does not look like he's repeating. The repeatability of a 30-30 is a very difficult thing. Just the, the the anomaly is we don't really see these guys at this age do this. You know, it's usually like older guys or, you know, Mr. Cedric Mullins, like I said, kind of finding himself later. Going a full 30-30 is a tough thing to do, but... The argument, if you don't want to get like granular about it, is like dudes like Ronald Acuna, Fernando Tatis Jr., they keep their value. Jose Ramirez, he keep they keep their value, whether they repeat as a 30-30 is, is almost irrelevant. They just kind of keep going. And Bobby Witt looks like he is a floor 2020 guy. And that type of value is um 
is top two rounds when you know that you're getting to that spot. I mean, there's not, I don't think there's any 2020 guy currently. Julio's the closest at 25, 21. There's only three guys at this point in the season who have 20 stolen bases. And Julio Rodriguez has almost double homers, the other two guys in John Birdie and, and Jorge Mateo. So 2020 is not something to scoff at. Uh, it just, it, it's going to get uh, shadowed by Julio Rodriguez quite a bit. Yeah, I'm just looking back now once you mentioned that. So in the last 20 or so years, players who have done 30-30 seasons multiple times, Ryan Braun, Ian Kinsler, Alfonso Soriano did it four times. Wow. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Sr. did it twice. Uh, Raul Mondesi, Jeff Bagwell. That's I mean, Barry Bonds did it five times. Going back farther than that, you're going was, back quite, quite a ways. And I was about to say, you're kind of proving my point. Who's the last guy that did it in the last 20 years? The last Ian guy Kinsler? Who- the last guy who did it was Ryan Braun in 2012, 41 oh. and 30. And then Kinsler probably, what, 2010? Uh, 2011. Okay, so it's been 10 years since someone has had a back-to-back 30-30 season. And guess what? I hate to tell everybody, baseball's kind of changed over the last 10 years. New baseballs, humidors, ballpark factors and changing, pitchers not being able to have sticky stuff. The game is a very different game now than it was 10 years ago. And not to say that there's a direct correlation, but hey, we haven't had a back-to-back 30 guy in those 10 years as the game has kept going on. Again, it is not to say, oh, Julio Rodriguez, it's not repeatable, blah, blah, blah. It's just like, no, he might do it in a different way. I'm still shocked that he's stealing the bases at this clip. I would have never believed it. He told it to my face that he wanted to steal more bases. I would have never believed he's a guy that could lead the league. I always thought his body type also whether you stand in front of him or you just see him on screen, doesn't look like a guy that can steal 30 plus bases. He will regress stolen bases over his career, but he's the type of player that turns 30, 30 into 40, 20 and then 45 right. into 45, 15. You know, he will just progress in that direction. He's a special, he's a very special player, man. Like a trout kind of pro- uh, projection. Yeah. You think like that? Yeah, exactly. I think that's the same type of thing. Like at some point, the valuation of just being an incredible hitter is going to surpass needing to steal all these bases. He's young. His body hasn't broken down, you know, as he continues, he has gained weight. Like this is one of those unique guys that, you know, I've been around since he was 18 years old and, you know, seeing him play in, you know, the lowest levels to Arizona fall league to the next levels in spring training. Now to the majors, I've been there the whole time, his body, has progressed and it's going to keep progressing not in a bad way he's going to get bigger he's going to run a little bit less i just i would be shocked if he ever steals 30 bases again i guess that's the even next year like i don't i really am going to have a hard time i guess unless he goes out and really steals like 40 something bases who am i to say i'll just be shocked if he puts on multiple multiple 30 plus stolen base seasons i feel like that's the first thing that's going to go by the wayside yeah, it usually is with these guys. There's very few players who I mentioned. Uh, and like those 30-30 seasons, there's a lot of guys who have two. Maybe a lot is even exaggerating it. Very few have more than three. Recently, it's just Soriano and Barry Bonds in the last 30-some-odd years. So I-, I agree with you. And you're obviously the one to defer to on this, having watched them as much as you have. Uh, it just, uh, for Seattle Mariner fans, just kind of a blessing there with the way Kellenic came up. It's they, they needed this. They, they, they deserve yeah. this. And they got guys, they got guys still in the wings too. You know, uh, Noelby Marte, he's yeah. a little critical, you know, and where he's at in his development, but they've got other guys, even a couple down here in the, where I'm in, in Arizona, in the complex league, Starlin Aguilar, Gabriel Gonzalez is like an absolute stud for dynasty people that should be looking at. Gabriel Gonzalez is going to be a guy. They're very, very good developmental team uh, pitching and hitting wise. 
let's move away from the rookies a little bit. Let's talk about a couple of, let's move on to some pitchers actually. So Shane McClanahan and Sandy Alcantara, I think they're probably the two favorites for the Cy Youngs in their respective leagues. Yeah, probably. Uh, I've seen some love for Verlander today. I think he had a really good start. I haven't checked the box score, but I think he did very well. Yeah, Pizapia loves to keep going on the Verlander stuff. And Verlander's fine. He's He's been fantastic. One of the better, you know, if you really think about it, of the top 100 return on values, I'm not sure there's many more guys that are more valuable that went inside the top 100 than Justin Verlander as far as pitchers go too, because you got him at, you know, probably in the nineties or a hundred overall, and he's returning top five SP value. I mean, it's a, it's a huge, huge return. Obviously McClanahan is probably the next step and then guys like Spencer Strider and whatnot, but you know, Dylan Cease was going higher. I think than all these guys, then McClanahan, then Justin Verlander. And there's just huge returns in that market. So I don't blame anybody that likes Verlander. I personally am a McClanahan guy though. So in terms of their ADPs this year, uh, McClanahan at one Oh nine, Alcantara 43 and Verlander 91. But the interesting thing about Verlander is 91 is all NFBC leagues. If you're just looking at the main event, it was 53 was his ADP. We got some mm. ballsy, ballsy people picking him at pick 53 there. You're talking mm-hmm. a lot of, I think the main event's all 15 teamers, right? Yeah. Well, and also, you know, it's uh, Ricky Bobby. You ain't first, you're last. Like there's a lot more risk in, you know, though that format of baseball than there's going to be in like, you know, st- like standard, like head to head or roto leagues. Do you have a main event team? Are you in the main event? No, you know, the only problem is Bogman and I contemplated sharing. So Arizona legalized gambling last September, which is awesome. You know, everything is out here, blah, 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 except NFBC did not either license or, or was approved of a license. So I can play all the DFS I want. I can gamble on all of the sites that I want. I cannot play NFBC. But Bogman, who is in Texas, did, and we were, uh, we got into, we just ended up devolving from, but we were going to do a main event. We were going to get into that. Probably we'll be heavy into it next year, even if it's Bogman doing a team for me or us sharing. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm in, I'm in Toronto. And, you know, when I started this up, we're doing, I'm doing a DFS podcast as well that I haven't done in a while. Uh, can't do DFS in Toronto and Ontario anymore on any of the sites. Yahoo was one where I kind of liked to do DFS because it was kind of a little bit more low key than DraftKings and FanDuel. None of them can't do any of them anymore. And recently uh, I was made aware of this through Michael Govier saying that the NFPC is no longer in Michigan. It's no longer yeah. in a few places, Ontario as well. So I was hoping to start getting more into them next year and I might not be able to. I hope that something yeah, changes. But it's, it's really odd too, because it, it, it's tough for all of us because I mean, there's so many different ways to talk about fantasy now. Like you can't talk like, you know, one of the things I got, which I always appreciated that I got like little accolades for when I did my little stint on CBS was, I don't mean to dismiss it, but it's like, they were so point centric and publicly like, that's what the normal, maybe the person that really listened to them would understand. Maybe they're not, but it was so point centric that people are like, Oh man, thank God. There's someone that can come on and talk more head to head and Roto. Well, guess what? Beyond even that now, you you get into best ball centric. You know, the way you talk about best ball is not the same way you would talk about maybe road or head to head. And then you've also got NFBC based leagues, and those are a different animal, you know, especially a lot more two catcher leagues. There's a lot more swinging for the fences. There's literally six or seven different formats of baseball that take different approaches and different conversations that there's just so much more to cover. And it's so wacky 
how places decide, like, why would they take away the licensing on NFBC to Michigan? That doesn't even make sense. Why would they not have a license in Arizona when all gambling became legal? I, I really haven't grown to understand it. Yeah, I don't. I, I'll never understand it. I'm just hoping that they figure it out. You're just like, I just want to play. Like, I yeah. just like to play. I don't need to understand it. I just want to play. Yeah, and like I've played Yahoo my for my whole fantasy life with a little bit of ESPN. I'm not crazy about ESPN with their standard scoring. It's, it's yeah, no, I'm not crazy about it. Negatives or strikeouts kind of piss me off. Uh, but I, I focus my content on the stuff that I've played, which is Yahoo and ESPN. But I see most of the content that I see made is based on NFBC and Fab. There's a lot of Fab content, and not a lot of maybe not a lot, but a lot of people play with just regular waivers. So. I've tried to gear my show and my Twitter stuff and my articles towards more just the everyday player. But that being said, I, I do want to play some high stakes stuff. I don't know about the main event. That's like $1,700 entry fee or something, but definitely would like to get into some if I'm allowed to next year. Yeah, I, I think it's it's all good. It all makes you a better fantasy player. I play in formats that I am not. I'm not a points guy. But I play in some points leagues. Um, I'm more of a head-to-head than Roto, but I probably play more Roto than I do anything else anymore. I'll play in NFBC. I I'll play, I do best. I always do a couple best balls at worst. Playing across different formats makes you a different, uh, makes you a better fantasy player. Also, I mean, I play way too many, but I do find it interesting. You know, at like this point of the year, you go in and you look and you're like, where have I dominated? You know, where have I dominated? For some reason, I seem to be particularly good in specific league formats like ALNL. I, t- I tend to like do relatively well in that. In head to head formats, I've been a little bit better than I have in uh, Roto this year. You know, I've, t- I've had some great, huge peaks in Roto and then I've kind of tallied back a little bit. So, it, it, you know, sometimes it's good to kind of find what you, not only what do you like, but what are you even more successful in, regardless of what you like. Yeah, I'm kind of an obsessive fantasy player. I like head-to-head daily changes, and I like, you know, every single morning, well, really, as soon as the waiver resets, which is 3 a.m. here, 12 for you, uh, I'm right on the waivers looking for, you know, what who who people are adding in different leagues, not just my own leagues, but just to see the, the most added and drop columns. Uh, head, head-to-head daily changes for me is probably my favorite, but I play a little bit of Roto, a little bit of points, like you said. Uh, especially this my first year doing the quote-unquote analyst thing. I try to spread myself out, and I might have stretched myself a little too thin. But that's another thing. I think welcome to po- welcome to fantasy podcasting in the industry yeah. is stretching yourself thin. You you officially yeah. you're officially in it when you're like I'm doing too much all across the board. Yeah, that was, I'm in like nine leagues or ten leagues, and that's probably not even considered to be that much, all things considered. But it just feels like a lot to say, it's especially plenty. with daily change. Especially with daily it's, changes, it's a lot. It's way way plenty, my friend. Yeah. Uh, let's let's move on. Well, we didn't really complete the uh, McClanahan uh, thing from and really Verlander as well. How high up do you think they will go next season? Uh, assuming everything continues to go well this year, where do you see them going? Getting drafted? Yeah. So I think McClanahan is the number one pitcher in baseball, and he's my number one pitcher in dynasty and in redraft. So based off of like you know historical trends. I think he's going to go probably somewhere between six and eight overall. You know, he'll be the number. I think he'll be, uh, there's a total open argument that he's not the number one pitcher. Uh, Corbin Burns, great strikeout numbers as good. There's always Garrett Cole. Those three are in there. So, you know, the window might be bigger. It might be between five and 15, but he won't go outside of that. I think Burns, Cole and McClanahan in most formats, if we're talking points, those are probably three of the top six picks overall. Um, if we're talking Roto, I think he's somewhere in that 15. Head-to-head, it could 
flip a little bit back. You know, you can sometimes not punt necessarily, but you know, you might want to push pitching back a little bit and head to head. So I think in most formats, it's going to be top 15. You're going to have some collection of those three and McClanahan will be in there. Verlander, you know, I think that's tough. I think you could clump Max Scherzer into this as well, because, you know, these are both like older guys that really show great success that I think people are going to have a harder time fully valuing, but I don't know if there's enough guys that are going to jump in because if, if you have Cole McClanahan and Burns, there's always a collection of pitchers. There's always two or three that go between 15 and 25. Verlander and Scherzer could fall into that, but I tend to think, I tend to think there's going to be a young guy or two that Sandy maybe takes that spot. The strikeout numbers don't help though. I'll say Verlander, Scherzer, I'm going to just clump them together are between 25 and 40, somewhere in there. Maybe like SP five through eight, somewhere in there, those two. And Alcantara just a little bit ahead of them, I would I would guess. I'm really, I'm torn on this one. I, I'm, I'm going to cheat because his strikeout numbers are worrisome from a fantasy perspective that he has to do what he's doing. He's got to go seven or eight. He's got to go deep into games, not giving up earned runs and get wins to continue that value. He's got a lot of regression numbers on him. Um, I, I've been talking a lot about Tony Gonsolin, and now Tony Gonsolin has got you know literally pitching to the worst BABIP in baseball. It's minus it's under two hundred. He's got an over two run differential on his ERA to Sierra and XFIP. Well, Sandy is kind of in that same general range. You know, and Gonsolin strikes out a little bit better. Sandy is a freak though, and I don't think a ton of regression is going to kill him. But I do think the possibility if he does have a I don't even worry some second half, but just a more human second half. You can make arguments that you'd rather have Max over him with his bigger strikeout numbers and maybe some more wins. So I do think Sandy has the potential to go top five SP, but I would probably lean like, I don't know, like right out, like right inside the top 10, like somewhere in there. There's a lot of, like I said, there's a lot of season to be played. I think it's going to be really important to his value the rest of the year. Yeah. With him, I worry that, he goes just so deep in every start that eventually, and this is already going to be his third year of 200 innings. I mean, one year it was like 198, but I'm, I'm counting that. That's a lot of mileage for someone at it his is. age. It's a lot of mileage. I worry as the year goes on. Now, I worried a little bit about this with Shane McClanahan earlier in the season, but they don't seem to push him too much. They seem to you know, limit him around 90, 95 pitches typically. I think his season high is 100 on the dot. With Sandy, it's like they'll let him go 115, 120, and I worry over time that might not come into play this year, but year after year, if you're lodging 200 innings every single season, I feel like that, that's going to wear you down. That's definitely yeah. going to quicker dude's than got, the average guy. Dude's got 12 more innings than the next pitcher. That's two starts. That's two quality starts. 123 for him versus Aaron Nola's 111. And the strikeout numbers, you know, the the, the most equivalent player – and I think this would be a great debate at the end of the year is Manoa. You know, Alec Manoa's strikeout numbers just don't seem to look elite anymore, but he's just such a powerhouse and he can go deep into games and he keeps, you know, enough hard contact off that he puts up, you know, really solid numbers. And he's got a, uh, he's got a sub two, five ERA two two three three and a sub one whip, which, you know, not all of these big inning guys can say, I mean, of the top 100 guys here, uh, or I'm sorry, the top 100 innings, there are do, 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 do. it looks like uh, I'm going to just do a rough number. It looks like around 12 pitchers. Only five of them have a sub one whip and it's Alcantara, Nola, Burns, 
Mikolas, and Manoa. And those are guys that have pitched 100 innings or more. So that's not an easy feat, but there's an interesting trend in there. Lot, three of the three of the five are not strikeout guys, really low K guys that are boosting up their value by going deep into games and picking up wins. Uh, Mikolas not necessarily picking up wins, but he's just got insane numbers uh, overall. I worry about those type of players, but if they can maintain the low run totals all year, Manoa and Alcantara are going to be really solid studs, but it also, there's a big differential in value of like McClanahan versus a Manoa or Alcantara because the strikeouts are not even remotely close. Yeah, I, I think it's a good point. And I mentioned it a couple of days ago that I'm, I would probably, maybe not advising it, but if you can sell high on Alcantara and get back one of those consensus top five players in baseball, like even even Juan Soto maybe, but like a Ramirez, it might have to be in some kind of package perhaps, but I'm just a little bit worried down the stretch. He has a 339 XFIP compared to his 182 ERA. Yeah, It's not the same as Gonsolin, but it's like a run and a half there. I'm, I'm a little worried that, that it's going to all, that the wheels are going to fall off as the season goes on. With and, and, and it's one of those things, I, I just said this the other day with Gonsolin, and I would say this exactly with Alcantara. Regression doesn't mean he's going to suck, like that he's going to be this, uh, people, people get like, oh my God. Is he going to be, you think he's going to be bad? Look at what Alcantara's done. And it's like, no, man, it's not saying that he's going to be bad. But what guys like Gonson and Alcantara are doing are superhuman. And there's a lot of underlying things that are saying there's some luck factors involved in there. And those run differentials are not something to ignore that he could regress a little bit. It doesn't mean he'll, at the end of the year, the guy could have a four plus ERA this whole second half and could still end the season with potentially an under three ERA. And we would look at the end of the year, we'd be like, man, what a great year. But then you'd have all these people whining and complaining like, oh my God, he had a four something ERA in the second half. No, it's just progression is a possibility. Uh, some semi unsustainable numbers. And yeah, I agree. If you could pull off a really good trade for Sandy, I would do it. You know what would be fascinating? Do you think you could get Julio Rodriguez for Sandy Alcantara? Yeah, I think depending on- Thinking redraft? In redraft, uh, yeah, if you're depending on team need, if you're selling to a guy who is in desperate need of pitching, who has a surplus of steals and doesn't really need another outfielder or something like that, then I think maybe, maybe right afraid pace, the rookie is going to fall off a little bit. Yeah, I think you could make an argument that either one of them could be reasonably traded for the other. Not that necessarily every person would accept or decline, but I think a good mix of people would say yes if you offered it either way. That might be one to look at. You know, if you can't get one of those top guys, I mean, we did a poll the other day of uh redraft who would you rather have julio rodriguez or juan soto 61 percent chose julio rodriguez over juan soto in a redraft rest of season right now so if you think i can maybe get juan soto julio julio rodriguez might not have the the rub for people that he's like a top five overall talent rest of season that that trade might make a lot of sense and that might be something you want to do I understand it rest of this year. I mean, going forward, I'd still think that Soto is going to be a better player. Most likely just the bat to ball skills are so elite. Not that, not to say that uh, Julio doesn't have them, but I don't think that we're going to argue that Julio is a better, just a pure hitter than, than Soto, at least not at this point. No, I mean, I have, I have Soto above him in dynasty, but redraft, I'm comfortable with Julio the rest of the year. Soto's got to get something figured out. He might do it the second half back to that whole, like, God, there's so much season ahead. I'm a buyer on Juan Soto. It is it is more unbelievable that he's going to be a 240 hitter with sub 30 homers 
than it is that he's going to completely bounce back. It's more unbelievable that he would be that type of player. I did it in one of the fantasy prosologies, like a bunch of people contribute write-ups and I felt silly doing it. I did it a couple of weeks ago. I said, I'm a buyer on Juan Soto. I would be buying in the near future. And I didn't, I don't want to just pick some big, huge name. People be like, duh, but people are legit. I had somebody um, tweet me saying, Hey, this seems crazy, but I got offered Juan Soto from my Schwarber. Should I even think about doing it? And that, that is where we're at with him right now. This 227 hitter, people don't know if they want to get rid of the 27 homers for Soto because Soto has struggled, but Soto kind of did a similar thing last year. I think he can bounce back. And like you said, his bat to ball skills might be the best in all of baseball. Jordan Alvarez might have something to say with it as is Mike Trout, but it's right there. And he's just one of those guys you buy, you buy, and he has an insane second half, and you're just thankful that you did it. You've created a nice little segue here. Let's mention uh, Jordan. So he was going 26th last year in the NFBC leagues. Do you think that he's going to be in the first round next year? Yeah, I think he's going to be right there. I think he's going to be that right wheel option because you, you got to consider, all right, you know, let's say McClanahan and Burns are the top two pitchers. Let's say we're not going to go crazy, but you're going to get some pitchers that are going to go in there. You're going to have you know, the Tatis, the Acuna, you're going to have Julio, Jose Ramirez is going to be in there. Probably Trey, you can't take Trey Turner out of that. So what have we built like five or six guys? Okay. Well, judge is going to be in there. You're going to take judge over him at this point, but then like how far, how much further can you make the argument that you don't take Jordan Alvarez probably throw Tani in there, you know, based in pending on some of the league stuff we talked about, maybe a Kyle Tucker. That's why I say, I think Jordan Alvarez is right on the precipice of like somewhere, but like a wheel pick. I think he's like the perfect wheel pick. You take him with maybe a stolen base option. Maybe you take him with one of those SPs, you know, maybe Burns falls and you take Jordan Alvarez and Corbin Burns to start a draft. Perfect. You know, 300 high end four category uh, hitter with uh, a dominant strikeout pitcher. And then you deal with stolen bases later. That's how you win. We've seen it this year. Stolen bases have actually been, you you can make them up a little bit later on in drafts with, I mean, Tommy Edmund has been a a godsend for me. I know. What what do you think about uh, Jorge Mateo? Do you think he's worth rostering in a lot of cases just for the steals or not worth it for you? Yeah, I mean, the, I I hate batting average uh, albatrosses. I truly, truly do. They bother me to no end. Um, the The problem with Mateo is he's really become a one category player. He does have some homers, which is nice, but he is, I mean, a nothing burger on runs, a nothing burger on RBI. He's just a non contributor, and he's a sub two hundred average. You know, I was going to say to what you were saying. Look at John Birdie. John Birdie has Birdie. under 170 plate appearances or at bats on the year was a guy you could pick up off the waiver wire. He leads baseball in stolen bases. You know, he's one of those arguments. Mateo is as well, but Mateo is really hard to roster. If you are a batting average punt, yeah, no brainer. Take those stolen bases, but he's a little albatrossy right now. And that's the only thing I don't like when we get into these arguments about like, oh, we can make up stolen bases. Yeah, we can, but sometimes those guys are super empty. You know, if you got birdie cool on you, Mateo's an empty guy. I like to find whether it's round one, two, three, four, five. I like to look for those lock in stolen base guys that provide multiple categories. That's why Kyle Tucker makes sense as a first round pick. That's why Cedric Mullins or Randy Rosarena, you just can't forget even when they struggled, like you said, Tommy Edmonds, a freaking lifesaver. Yeah. Um, I like my stolen bases with some good batting average. So I don't get ahead of myself. Cause I could get really, 
I get really nutty if I'm like, oh, I'm thinking, you know, Dolores Garcia and let me get some Jorge Mateo. And then all of a sudden, any work I did early on with batting average, you're going to decimate by taking these sub 250 batting average guys to make up one category. So it's always a balance. I mean, you know, it's always a balance to play with. Mateo's fringy though. But to your point, you can always find stolen bases and might make a bigger case for not overpaying for it next year, which would have an effect, I think, on Julio Rodriguez a little bit. If if there's a large contingency of people that say, hey, listen, the stolen bases guys weren't elite. They did not return the stolen bases that we needed. And we also found cheap stolen bases in Bader and Edmund and Isaiah Kiner-Falefa and Adolis Garcia. Why pay up for it more that if the stolen base market goes down, it could, in theory, affect the Julio Rodriguez's in their little advantages that they get. And that would be something interesting to watch. Of all the guys we've talked about, Julio definitely interests me the most. To have someone go from, I mean, I know he was like in the 200s in NFBC. I think he was around like 200 in most places. To go from that to the first round, I don't have any, I don't know if there is data on this, but like the, the largest single season ADP jumps, I would, I wonder what the biggest one is, but that's got to be up there, like 200 gonna, plus. Yeah, it's definitely going to be up there because like, you know, Luis Robert, when he was drafted, you know, he was being drafted around the 60s because it was presumed he would come up. You had uh, Bobby Witt was given the, you know, he's going to break camp. So he was going inside the top 100. No one believed Julio was going to break camp. I sure didn't. Uh, I, I mean, how stupid did I sound in early episodes where I was like, what are people doing? We had people in our re in our mock drafts in January taking Julio top, you know, in the 200. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? Like, this is crazy. He has to, there's no guarantee he comes up. Look at how littered this outfield is. It's got Winker and Kyle Lewis is coming back and you've got Kelnick who they're going to go through. And why would they, and look how ridiculously dumb that looks right now because he was being drafted post. There are people that probably got him around 250 in early drafts and are going to have a theoretical number one overall player. The, The jump is insane. There's very few guys that have done it. Yeah, his ADP jumped quite a bit. Uh, I was factoring in like all drafts. If you just go to like mid March and beyond, he was going about pick one hundred. But even yeah, still, yeah. even still, then we're looking at like almost. Well, one, once the chatter came out that he was going to break camp, that changed everything. That changed yeah. my tune because my only argument for him, my only argument was, listen, paying the price on a guy that might not come up anytime soon. I just don't like doing that. I don't think the the juice is worth the squeeze. If he breaks camp, it's another discussion. Then he did. Let's go all in. You know, no one predicted the stolen bases, but it was really about him breaking camp where I firmly believed. I was actually at one point, probably way surpassed uh, in the leading days. For many months, I was the highest single person on Fantasy Pro's rank of Bobby Witt Jr. <laughs> Easy. That got surpassed as people felt more comfortable about it. I never felt comfortable until the report came out that Julio was going to break camp. And then it was like, okay, now we're all in. Uh, it's, a, it's a dramatic jump. Watching his trajectory from like January to drafts and to now is an amazing chart because it was up here at 200, down here at 150, down here at 100. And now you're looking at freaking top five overall player <laughs> in a matter of like four months. I, in my years of playing fantasy, and now you've definitely been playing for longer than I have. I can't remember another guy who's jumped up quite so much. I'm sure there, are, I'm sure there are examples, but I love me some Julio. I know you love yeah. Some Julio. Yeah, I mean Marcus Simeon. You know, I mean Simeon. forty homers, twenty stolen bases, and far as value, Mullins. Those are like recent guys that had you know huge, huge jumps. But yeah, I mean Julio's is pretty special. Let's maybe just talk about one more guy. <clears throat> He's declined a little bit recently, and I'm I'm interested to. Th- 
to know your take on it. Martin Perez, we've seen a couple of rough starts in a row. A lot of people are talking about him as possibly starting the All-Star game at one point. Uh, I don't really know if he's done now, if he's completely cooked. Do you think that he'll return to some kind of early season form or is is the honeymoon phase over with him? No, I mean, I'm not a Martin Perez guy. It's uh, it's pretty fun. I mean, it's pretty incredible what he's done. He's also, annoyingly, he's one of those guys where it's like you go and you try to pick apart. That's like the fun thing that we can do sometimes where we're like, okay, where how can we pick apart this player? There wasn't like huge pick aparts. Like he had a two three four ERA. His his FIP was two eight five, but he has a three six nine X FIP. But that's still not even the worst thing on the planet. Didn't have unreasonable left. I I always like to look like is this guy getting some insane crazy left on base rate, which doesn't seem sustainable. Nope, it's in the seventy sevens. He's just had a lot more ground balls, which has led to way less home runs. And uh, he's been pretty efficient as far as walk goes. I think he's currently walking at the lowest rate of his entire career. So you take in the one of the, I think this is like the third highest, maybe fourth highest ground ball rate of his career. I mean, anytime you get over the fifties, you're doing something right. A 50 plus percent ground ball rate, which is equating to an under 5% home run rate, the lowest walks of your career and a little bit of luck. You got seven wins under your belt. I just don't think he's an elite pitcher. I'm not a, he's a huge sell to me. It's low, low strikeouts. I think some of the wheels are going to fall off a little bit, but, um, yeah, I don't want to be completely dismissive because there are some stuff in there that's pretty nice. But yeah, I'm not a Martin, I'm not a Martin Perez guy. Do you think that, I mean, he, he was getting drafted this year, if at all, like post pick 700, his ADP was 738. Uh, do you where do you see him going next year? Do you think people will remember this early season stretch and he'll go maybe like top 200 or something? Or do you think he'll be forgotten about again? I mean, if he like finishes a year decent. Yeah, I think so. I think he'll be like, um, I call the Kyle Dick Gibson is treated like right around like 200, something like that, where it's like, oh, OK, I'm getting, you know, some value. If he if the wheels fall off, it's going to be a huge crowd of people going yep. Told you so. This is it. And he will be long forgotten. He'll still probably be a top 300 guy because of the success that he's had. But he does, again, he's not showing like his decreased velocity on his fastball. He decreased his fastball velocity. He hasn't done any, the, the pitch mix is like a tiny bit different, nothing insanely crazy. He doesn't, it's, it's, it's luck. It's ground ball rate. It's, you know, that, that type of success that's led. There's not, this huge increase or, you know, Oh my God, he changed to this pitch. You know, now he's throwing the curveball 15% of the time or look like what Hunter green does. Hunter green throws crazy hard, uh, you know, almost a hundred miles an hour and people, but he doesn't have a lot of great movement and people are just sitting on the fastball. So what's the kid do halfway through the season results are still questionable. He starts throwing his slider, the predominant amount of pitches. He throws his slider more than his fastball. And he saw huge success. The league then caught up, you know, we're not seeing those type of changes. What I'm getting at, like Martin Perez is just falling into this nice luck standpoint. I don't see any crazy increases. I just see a higher ground ball rate with a overrun uh, XFIP differential. And I'm just not a believer. The one thing is the slight change is a few more fastballs, 38% to 40. Yeah. The percentage of fastballs he's throwing is more, but it's not an elite fastball. That's it. No, not at all. And like you said, from 93 down to like 92 and change this year. It sucks because it's one of those things where it's like you don't want to be jaded, but sometimes it's just like, no, like I've seen, we've seen this before. We've seen these like crazy mediocre pitchers 
that have these nice stretches and then they get start getting beat up and we're like, okay, maybe, you know, get that. And no, just keeps getting beat up. But, you know, listen, he, these older smart pitchers, it's good pitch mix. He's getting hit hard, less than ever lowest barrel rate uh, pitchers have put or hitters have put on his pitches in his career to 3% rate lowest max EV of his career. So he's keeping them off. He's pitching to bad contact, which is going into the ground. What's going to happen when the league adjusts? Uh, maybe it won't. You know, maybe it won't. But I'll never be a Martin Perez believer at that low strikeout rate. But yeah, someone will, uh, I'll be proven wrong, and that'll be okay. I just uh, I'm a seller. I I don't think you will be proven wrong. I mean, we've seen it these last couple times out. He's come back down to earth a little bit. It does. It is the best uh, strikeout minus walk rate of his career, thirteen point seven. But like you said, there's not a lot of reason to think that he's going to have sustained success going forward. I think he'll be fine but i think there's a the pitcher list guys i forget maybe it was nick or alex i forget which one of them coined it but it's like a what is it like the vargas rule like jason vargas it's like perfect it's something like that from 2017 or something half a year of great play and you start him until he hurts you kind of thing and then you cut bait and move on but i think he might be able to be a rosterable guy the rest of the season totally totally i mean listen the last two starts have not been atrocious he's given up seven earned runs over his last two starts he still struck out a few guys, um, a little bit walky uh, that's going on. He just had this incredible stretch. I was just looking at it from like April 23rd to May 31st, where he gave up a total of four earned runs over all those starts, which I think is like eight earned runs, which is kind of that Vargasy thing. But, you know, he's had a six earned run game in there. He's got a four. He just gave up three. They're not the worst in the world. If you start seeing if these next couple starts start blowing a, a little bit up, maybe he's going to become more streamable to then droppable. But you hold on tight. He looks like he's just, he's like that classic, more refined, older pitcher that you start worrying less about stuff and you worry about fooling the other hitter and trusting your defense. And it's a pretty strong defense with Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon up the middle. So you trust your defense with more ground balls and you, you know, sometimes you reverse pitch. I'm not saying he's doing that, but you know, in I'd have to look at like literal, like each plate appearance and how he's pitching. But when you reverse pitch, you can keep guys off of making solid contact. And that's definitely what he's doing. He's just not striking out tons more guys. And he's not putting up these like crazy elite uh, statistical counting stats that we would want seven wins looking good getting ground balls and martin perez sell 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 yeah absolutely let's maybe we've, we've gone through a lot of guys we've gone through pretty much everybody i wanted to get through a couple guys else but I, I think we can we can leave it there in terms of the adp stuff it is still a long way to go until next season and there will be a lot of change i mean we'll go i'll come back and listen to this in a few months and Hopefully we'll be right about a lot of stuff, but I'm sure there'll be a few players. God, that- don't you hope? Don't yeah. you hope? You just hope you like you go back and you're just like, God, did I not sound super stupid? Like I think back to those draft things where I literally, uh, I mean, we like to have fun with our guys, but there's one of our guys that took Julio at like two fifteen. I was like, dude, what are you doing? I'm like, what what are we doing here? Like, why? What are we? This is like in February or something. What are we doing here? And it's the one of the dumber things I could possibly. I look so stupid, but you know, you you got you have to laugh about those things because we talk about so many players, and this is just our perspective. You know, I, I don't tell anybody to, I don't force anybody to make any moves. I want people to make their own decisions. If anybody likes my train of thought, or I don't know, you know, appreciates what I do in fantasy, I'll let them know where I'm at, and I'll make the same decisions. I said it, so I'm in the same trajectory as you. Hopefully, we're right. We're not always. 
Yeah, I mean, I've gone back and listened to a couple of my early episodes, and there's a couple of yikes moments, and there's a couple of <laughs> moments that I'm kind of happy about. So You're like, oh, Joe, what were yeah, you thinking, Joe? And I've, I've been listening to a lot of old podcasts since I started doing this, and just listening to old, uh, a lot of Fantasy Pros mock draft stuff, and no one gets everything right. That's what that's given me a lot of comfort getting into this field, is thinking that everybody is an expert, and a lot of people are very informed in this field and know what they're talking about, but no one hits it 100%. No, no one does. I mean, there's, um, yeah, I think it was what, Phil DeSalt, who had like the most incredible NFBC run. And, you know, those speak for themselves. That's probably one of the closest you could have of like perfect seasons and stuff. But we, we have leagues. I, we have leagues that we just completely bomb out on industry or even with listeners and friends. And it's just no perfect science to, uh, to any of them. And we, we cater to the best we can. Hopefully we pick the best. Baseball is just a completely different beast than it is with football or even basketball. You know, they're all their own thing, but hopefully you, um, you know, you stream enough you stream decently and you pick up a few of the really solid places and you got guys like McClanahan and maybe you hit on Strider and you've got a Julio Rodriguez. You just hope to hit, you know, 30 to hit 300. If you can, Joe, if you can hit 300, you're winning. I'm sure your friend who picked Julio 212 there is laughing, laughing this. Oh yeah. He threw it in my face. He can throw it in my face. It was a, it was a listener on the podcast. You know what? Still supports me because we had fun with it. But like I said, I mean, at least I have a logic to it. I'm not, I would never be the one to trash Julio. I've been the biggest defender of him. You know, if I want to get real, uh, you know, patting my own back, like I've, I was him over Kelnick when everybody wanted Kelnick. I was Julio um, before it was cool, you know, because just seeing this talent. But then I got to have that moment where I'm like, what are we doing? What are we doing? It's like, nah, nah. Redraft's a different beast than Dynasty and uh, looked stupid, but he is incredible. Let's get to just a couple of questions now that you guys left on Twitter. I think there were three of them that you guys left here, and we had Ty with a very nice comment. Two of my favorite baseball podcasters. Can't wait for the show. Ty, you are one of the good ones, my friend. Let's get to mm-hmm. the first question here. Peter, Jordan or J-Ram, rest of the season, 5 by 5 Roto. What say you? Oh, that's a mean one. Uh, <laughs> Jordan Alvarez or Jose Ramirez rest of season five by five Roto? Yeah. I will. Uh, I'm going to still go Jose Ramirez. I'm sorry. The steals, is that what does it for you? Yeah, it's a steal. Well, I mean, if, if, we're, if we're five by five here, Ramirez has got RBI. He's got stolen bases. Um, I, I mean, it's, there's a big home run total difference. But I don't think yeah, I'm looking here. The runs aren't enough. The average isn't enough. It's just really like, I don't want to call them elite, but like plus stolen bases versus zero. I don't think Jose Ramirez is deficient in enough in a certain category to justify the eliteness that Jordan is across his fourth. Does that make sense? Yeah. Ramirez is a five tool category player that is going to contribute all over the board and not give so much less than Jordan, where he is a complete zero in stolen bases. And I will give that to Jose Ramirez. I'll, I'll take the Jose argument as well. Let's see what else we got here. Seth, how valuable is Logan Gilbert in a keeper league? If I'm looking to compete this year and have lots of talent at SP, would trading him and other pieces for a guy like Mookie be a good idea? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, I think Logan Gilbert is very valuable. I, yeah, I have him as a top 100 uh, piece in Dynasty. Uh, I'm quite a bit higher, actually. He's in like the 50 to 75 range. I think 
I'm, I, I will tell you, I am very worried by this recent trend of lack of strikeouts. Uh, that's been a thing that I don't like to see. He was really dominant at it early in the season and he's got, you know, three or four pitches that he could just command at any point. I've always loved that about him is he just hits zones. He just bullies pitchers in. Uh, he's not afraid. And um, I think he could be a much better strikeout option than he's showing. So that is a little hesitation, but if you can go get, if you trade Gilbert in something, I, I didn't, he didn't really specify. Did he specify what the other piece was? No, all he said is the bets owner is in 11th of 12 teams and offered me Mookie in a trade before withdrawing. So I guess he needs to throw in another little piece there along with Gilbert to, to pry Mookie away. Yeah, I'd have no issue with that. I got Mookie quite a bit higher. Mookie is still Mookie and hitters over pitchers in Dynasty for the most part. That if it's Logan Gilbert and let's say like a, you know, the decent prospect or something like that. Sure. Now, if it's Logan Gilbert and like Corbin Carroll, you know, I don't want to do that. Um, but still, I'd have to think about it because it's Mookie. And I like to work in like three-year windows of Dynasty for the most part. Uh, it would be something I'd have to consider. But if it's, you know, outside of a top 10 prospect, like 15 or 20, something like that with Logan Gilbert, sure enough. Yeah, absolutely. I don't play in so many keeper leagues, so I'll I'll, I'll defer to you there. I, I... I'm in one dynasty league, but I don't really focus on it too much. Ah, come on. That's what you got. That's, you got to focus there. I felt I, I'm not, I'm not massive into it. I want to get more into it. I, I, when I got into it, it, it was shit. Did you take I, over an or- orphan team or something? No, no, it was, it was a new, it was a new league. I just didn't. Okay. I didn't really know the prospect world when I got into it. And looking back on the draft, I made a lot of mistakes. Uh, yeah. Now you're like, you're like now Jesus. it's like uh, it's perpetual rebuild territory. <laughs> that is the worst. That is the worst. We got one more question from Mike Carter. Do you know, you know, Mike Carter, right? I uh, think so. Writer for uh, SP streamer fan tracks. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know of, I don't, I don't think I, we, I don't think we've personally like uh, hung out or chatted a whole bunch, but I know of absolutely. He's been on this show. Great guy. You guys should check out Mike if you haven't already. Who is one outfielder you are targeting as a buy low candidate? Ooh, so a buy low outfielder. I don't know how low do we want to go here because, I mean, from a really high perspective, I hate to even say it, but Byron Buxton, you know, but but that's a really big name. So it's not like a fair one to say. I just kind of throw that out there. Like Buxton's batting average is so bad. But he does have a XBA around 260. You know, I think some of that has just been underwhelming, unfortunately, for him. Um, I'm trying to look here on um, by low. I mean, I would have told you Eloy. That would have been one, but he came back and I think he's kind of like already back at it. Okay, this this is actually somebody I just pinpointed. It's a little bit cheaty, but he's still an outfielder. And I talked about him as I think I literally had him as a buy low was Alex Kirloff, who he did get banged up just the other day running. Um, I think it was hitting the base on uh, Andrew Vaughn and Kirloff. He's got hits in four of his last five games, had a two homer game the other day. He's had two multi hit games in his last three and three homers since June 29th. I mean, he has suffered from injuries. So I think Alex Kirloff is such a, studly long-term contact player. I just don't think he gets credit because he also hasn't performed enough to like give him that type of credit, but uh, his dad's a hitting coach. He's a really smart hitter. Uh, The injuries have kept him so decimated that he's really started to pick it up. Now they said this was really a nothing burger on his most recent injury, but it's something to monitor. 
that would be a player that I would be trying to pick up rest of season because I think Kirilov could have a strong second half, which is going to help vault his value next year. Did he just get hurt again? Is he out again now? Uh, I don't think so. I think this was, I mean, I see like Yahoo's got like a little DDT on him, a little day-to-day. Oh, they do. Yeah. Uh, but I, not that I know of, uh, okay. but I, I do know there was the base issue with Andrew Vaughn, but he walked out of it. He played on, because what's today? The seventh? He played on the sixth. Yeah. Which I want to say the base thing. Well, actually, it was the six. So I, I, I don't know. I didn't look at the lineups today. Yeah, Have no, uh, they don't play today. But I just wanted to make sure he didn't get thrown on the injured list. No, he, he's- no, no. That he said he was okay. He said a okay yeah. was the thing that they had said. So okay, so that's the thing I'm forgetting is they're not playing today. So they're keeping the DDT on him because they don't play today. He said he's good. Should be back in the lineup. I'm guessing as people are listening to this on Friday. Yeah, I, I love Alex Kirilov. Last couple of weeks, uh, 306 average, 15 for his last 49. I love what he can do, and he's probably not going to cost you too much. Now, one name that came to mind when I saw Mike's question was Lourdes Curiel because he started to pick mm. it up recently with the batting average. Now, the, the stats aren't too sexy. He's got like four or five home runs. But he's someone who goes on these hot streaks every single year, and there's usually a two- or three-week period where he's one of the better hitters in all of baseball. We haven't really seen that from him yet this season. And I think when it comes, the Jays lineup still hasn't fully clicked. When it comes, I think that you'll be able to you'll be able to get him for cheaper than he will end up costing by season's end, I think anyway. Yeah, I think that's a that's a pretty good one. And also, you know, the cost of cheap guys, it's relevant it's it's tough to say. You know, like um you know, like Michael Harris is someone I think that could I think Michael Harris could be top fifty overall the rest of the season. You can't really get him for cheap, but you could probably get him for cheaper than his perceived value. Uh, Kirloff is over the last two weeks has been a top 40 overall player. You know, he's got a preseason value around 200. You could still get him for an under 200, um, probably a, a post 100 player, maybe 150. And Lord is yeah. probably in that same range. So yeah. it's always a little bit relative. I know people probably want like those super deep, crazy names, but like, if we're talking about like real actual targets, I like yours. I like Lourdes, who's been a top 150 player over the last two weeks, Kirloff and, you know, if you could dive around about Michael Harris, I would try to get him. He's arrested. He's arrested season guy. I want. It's not really your, Hey, who's a buy low cheap guy. He's really not, but I want Michael Harris the rest of the year. I guess I'm saying. Yeah. And like you said earlier, Soto, if you can still get low on Soto, uh, yeah, you know, low, ba- low BABIP numbers, everything else is more or less. Okay. I mean, not a great lineup, but if Josh Bell can produce in that lineup and Juan Soto can produce in that lineup. Sometimes you also just have to trust like, this is like an elite player. Like if you don't believe one, if two months, or two and a half months makes you believe if makes you go from, Oh, Juan Soto is one of the best players in baseball to, oh, I don't know if he's that good. If, if that, if you believe that, okay, don't buy into it. But if you can have the realization that this guy has been elite since the day he came up, he's younger than some prospects that are still coming up right now. And you can understand that we go through these periods of time. I think you can comfortably go make the trade. And, and even if you don't hit, you're like, well, I took a shot. I got one Soto, but you know, if you truly believe these two and a half months are just him and, Oh, he just sucks and he can't get it through. Then maybe you don't want to make that trade. But I, I think it's fair enough sometimes to just go, Oh, Hey, you know what? Track record of a elite player is something that I'm comfortable enough with. If someone else isn't. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's not really a long-term flaw I see other than the fact that he might be tied down to a, a shitty lineup. That's the only thing that's yeah. going to be a, if he If he re-ups for 13 years and they don't put pieces around him immediately, that that's the one small thing. It's it's a tough year, but we've seen it with a lot of great players. They go through tough stretches. If your thoughts right now are to sell low on Soto, I would definitely reconsider. Uh, I would too. I agree with you. 
guys, uh, Chris, thank you so much for being here with us. I feel like no one ever really calls you Chris. It's always just the Welsh, the Welsh, the Welsh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you introduced me. You're like the Welsh. I'm good with all of it. Yeah, no, I mean, my name is Chris. Uh, you can call me Chris. I, I love being on here, man. I uh, I really appreciate you reaching out. It's fun talking this stuff, uh, especially with the you know podcasts. You and I haven't really got to interact outside of email, so getting to like talk on a podcast and getting to chop it up is um it's really really enjoyable. And I appreciate you having me. Oh no, it's it's uh, it's an honor. Honestly, I, I listen to your stuff constantly. I'm listening to ITL or I'm listening to Leading Off. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was I was going to the Dominican Republic and I was looking through the stuff that I had on the plane just downloaded already and there was the itl episode with you guys and bubba i was mm. laughing out loud like a dumbass <laughs> on the on the plane oh my god oh you know what didn't you tweet that did you tweet I that did. i think i missed that i've been so I bad did. about twitter last month that was i was in a mood on that day too and, and i get like that sometimes and that and sometimes it's a great recipe and that happened to be a very good recipe of an episode where uh, we were just chopping at it uh, all of us that was that a fun was, one. That was great. I really enjoy your content. If you guys are not already following Chris, the Welsh, however it is that you prefer to refer <laughs> to him, it's at is it the Welsh on Twitter. You guys can find him in the in this league podcast like we've talked about. He's one half of leading off, which is every day at noon Eastern. Is that noon Eastern? Uh, the leading off is noon Eastern. Yep. Noon Eastern for usually 30 minutes. Usually 30 minutes. If you're not seeing him on there, you're probably seeing Bogman or someone else that you're familiar with. And also check out Prospect One. Now, you haven't dropped an episode in a couple of weeks. Are you going to be... Yep. So as it? people are listening to this, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, it, it happens. And I hate that it happens with Prospect One. I went kind of like balls to the wall a little bit with two episodes a week for the majority of June, doing one draft episode and whatnot. And then you just a couple things going on i had to push and i meant to drop one on monday and then we just got to i had birthdays dealing with and then i just realized like let's just get back on schedule so new episode dropping back on friday and this will kind of be um you know just getting back into where we are with prospects i got my new ranks dropping uh, i have a patreon at in this league.com where i do you know redraft dynasty and a top 500 prospect for fantasy that i've been doing for years and years and I update it every single month and the update is coming on Friday. And I will probably be talking about some of those updates and preparing for the MLB draft, which is next week. I think if I'm remembering correctly, is that right? I think you're right. I'm not the most yeah, tuned in. I think it, I think it's next week if I'm remembering correctly, because yeah, I think it's next Friday, Thursday or Friday, but uh, draft is coming up and I'll be just be prepping everybody for that. Oh, uh, it starts July 17th. So we're so that is how far are 10, we from 10, 10 days away. Okay. So it's on Monday. Yeah. So it's not next. So either way, I'll still be this week and next week doing the final prep, but um, July 17th, I'm sorry, that's on a Sunday. So it'll be Sunday, two Sundays from now. I'm looking the forward stack to it. draft stack draft. I'm not such so in tune with the with draft stuff, but I'm going to try and start getting more into dynasty, put out maybe some, yeah, this will always be a redraft podcast, but maybe put out a little bit of dynasty content here and there. And I know that Welsh is one of the very few people who I would trust with my prospect stuff. You and Eric, there's not there's not too many guys out there who I would put my faith in, but you are definitely one of them, my friend. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much for saying that. And hopefully I can continue to uh, do people right and not disparage people who want Julio Rodriguez and redraft league. <laughs> well, you get the front row seat in there. February. Yeah. You got the front row seat there in Arizona with the, with the fall league. Yeah. Yeah. We got the Arizona fall league, which I'll be covering this off season complex league going on right now. Instruct spring training. It's, it's why I get to like 
be around tons of players and I get to enter. It's why I've interviewed, you know, Julio and Kelnick and Adele and because of the Arizona fall league and access. Uh, so it is, a, it's kind of a blessing. I'm very much looking forward to the Arizona fall league. And I do a whole host of episodes. That's actually what makes prospect one difficult. Sometimes is I don't have an off season. I have an off season for football I have an off season for baseball. I do not have an off season for prospect one because there isn't the closest to it is probably December and January if you could call it that, but then that's when you're prepping for your drafts, you're prepping for your first year player, you're prepping for dynasty, you're doing all that stuff. So there's really never an off season because I do not take it in October because that's the Arizona Fall League, which I am covering here. And you get the first, uh, you're right there for the first pitch Arizona. You don't have to go anywhere. Everybody comes to you. So. They do come to me. They don't, they don't invite me to talk, but they, <laughs> but everybody do, does come and I get to hang out and I do enjoy all those guys and we uh, do poker. It was a little bit smaller last year just due to covid but yeah. you know in normal years there's poker games uh, are you going to come out to it i'm hoping to i haven't booked any t- you can still book i'm assuming oh yeah they, they they'll i think they sell tickets like like the day of if you needed to buy one but it's about getting hotels and stuff like that yeah yeah which are really on, easy during that time yeah i if i if i can make it i will definitely try to that's put on by baseball hq right they're the ones who, yep yeah yeah, and all the you know all the Nick Pollock who's been on this show, you know all the the guys that you love, Pollock, Eno Saris, uh, Spore, me and me and Spore, um, he has a DFS game we play, and actually the one of the funnier things that happened. Oh, you know what? It wasn't the Fall Stars. He, he was out for Fall Stars, but they came back out. Me and Spore always chop it up. We get nuts. We have a tradition where I save the seats behind um, home plate for the Fall Stars game. I save those seats and we all take them, all the industry guys, and they happened to do a fan graphs meetup and Sporer and I were uh, striking guys out during the Fall Stars game. Uh, if you find <laughs> the video, we tweeted it out where Wanya Pez, we were doing strikeout calls and it was on TV and uh, we have a lot, we have a lot of fun during those times. That's great. I, I'll have to come out at, uh, for sure, if not this year, the next year, but I'll do my best to, to get down there. I'd like to meet a lot of these people who... Who I've met virtually in person, and for sure, uh, a couple of the baseball HQ guys I know, Ryan and Ray. So, be nice to yeah. actually be, miss and listeners. Meet them in person. And I'm not to plug. I like I said, I don't get anything. Uh, baseball HQ does not invite me to do anything. Had uh, <laughs> they never have um, or anything like that, but you know, a lot of listeners come out. I've met tons of listeners because it is a conference for people to learn um, about baseball. So it's actually really not even for industry guys. It's a great connecting piece, but for everybody else, it's a great piece to meet some of your favorite people, to do drafts, to learn more. Um, these guys do different, you know, there's a prospect panel. There's usually a pitching panel by, Eno. there's a bunch of interesting stuff um, just for the diehards is what I'm saying. You like fantasy baseball. You, 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 you know, you breathe it, you live it, you bleed it. That's one of those cool places where you can kind of be all around it. If you can swing a, you can swing a vacation like that. Absolutely. Neither of us are associated with it, but go out and uh, go check out Arizona Fall League. See if you guys want to yeah, head down there. Free plug for those guys. Why there not? you go. There you go. <laughs> We've kept you on longer than I thought we would. I, I apologize. I know you've had. I'm a talker, longer. man. Uh, don't worry, Joe. I'm a, I am a talker. I always expect to go long because I struggle shutting up. No, that's good, man. People who tune into the show, they hear me every day. I'm sure they're glad to have a break from it, and they're glad to have someone as knowledgeable as you on. So thank you once again for coming on, man. I really hey, thank it. you very much, my friend. Thank you for the kind words. I'm always uh, embarrassed by any kind words, but I appreciate it. You do a great job, killer job. And uh, just, yeah, thank you so much for chopping it up with me. 
Uh, no worries, man. We'll have you on again at some point for sure. This has been Chris Welsh. Is it the Welsh on Twitter? In this league, fantasy pros, prospect one. If you listen to a podcast, he's probably a part of it. Go check him out on Twitter and everywhere else. In this league, Patreon. Tons of stuff you guys can get over there as well. We'll see you next week, guys. Thank you for tuning in. Appreciate it. Cheers, everybody. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.